Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dua Lipa at Your Service. This week, I'm joined by Bowen Yang, the breakout star of Saturday Night Live, a weekly live comedy series that's been a television staple in the United States since 1975, and which has churned out alumni like Tina Fey, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, and countless others. Bowen has taken the comedy world by storm since joining the series as a performer nearly three years ago, but his first big break was with his beloved pop culture podcast, Las Culturistas, which he has co-hosted with Matt Rogers since 2016. In the years since, he's broken through to the mainstream with his bold, hilarious writing and acting in countless viral SNL skits. From his weekend update appearance as the iceberg, the Titanic hit. Next week marks the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. Here to explain his side of the story is the iceberg that sank the Titanic. Hi, Colin. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is always a really weird time of year for me to co-writing the incredibly iconic Harry Styles' Sarah Lee sketch. I was telling him about your work managing the company Instagram here at Sarah Lee. Yeah, and I love representing the brand. People love bread content. Yeah, uh, that's actually why we brought you in today, since we flagged some activity on the account that's been a little off message. Oh, I don't think so. Well, for example, why did Sarah Lee comment on this picture of Nick Jonas saying, wreck me daddy, and then comment again a month later with destroy me king? Bowen's work is always funny, never the same, and consistently groundbreaking. I first got to know Bowen when we appeared together alongside host Kristen Wiig in an SNL skit in December 2020. And ever since that night, I've been watching him soar. Last year, he was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. In 2022, he'll appear in several major movies, including Billy Eichner's Bros, and a rom-com I'm very much looking forward to seeing, Fire Island. Somehow, he also found the time to record the episode of Dua Lipa at Your Service that you're about to listen to. Without further ado, please enjoy today's very special At Your Service guest, Bowen Yang. Thank you so much for joining me on At Your Service. I'm so happy to have you as a guest on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm such a massive fan of yours and I was very excited because we actually met on SNL. We did. Which was a very exciting and major moment for me and I was so excited. I was high on adrenaline and I also said to you, we have to get tattoos together, (laughs) which we haven't done yet. Which we haven't done yet, but I will sort of, even if it doesn't happen, because I still, I don't want to, I don't want either of us, especially you to commit to that kind of thing. But I mean, I will never forget sort of the sensation, the feeling, the emotion (laughs) of hearing that from you and going, oh my God, she likes me enough to like want to go to a, you know, tattoo parlor with me. So we can be bonded forever. I mean, that moment was always really, it was just so special for me and, you know, getting to feature in my first like skit Mm-hmm. which was something that you wrote. Remind me, do you wear red satin panties? Girl, you know I don't. Then why did I find these in your briefcase? <gasps> I've been looking for those. Marjorie! 
And I, I mean, I have so many questions, but first of all, you know, SNL is something that like we don't have in the UK. You know, it's very unique where like weekly all the writers get together and the actors and you all create stories and you create these amazing skits. And it's just such great fun entertainment for Saturday nights. And I was really wondering like when and how did you first realize you were funny? I mean, I moved around a decent deal when I was a kid and I think it was just having... There's that classic thing of just like adapting to like a new environment. I'm sure you've like known mm. this kind of situation where oh God, yeah. in order to like ingratiate yourself very quickly to new people at like a very young age, I think you figure out the ways you can like quickly charm people. And I think I tried to do that. And like the biggest cultural shock for me was moving from Montreal, Canada to mm -hmm. Denver, Colorado. So it was like French Canada, like East Coast, like... Uh, yeah. in your faceness to going to like a pretty genteel like naturey place like Denver where people are chill and um you know not knowing English as well as I knew my French or my Canadian French mm. so there was this like language barrier and this cultural gulf that I had to like traverse that I had to be like okay what's like the most immediate way for me to get people to like me which was to like be goofy and silly and then it was this thing where like at recess, there was this one girl, Victoria Rosales, who like she would cry because she felt like people were not Aww. being nice to her, even though she was, I think, one of the more popular girls. But I would rush over to her, cheer her up and like, I don't know, just like get her back, oh, get her, Bowen, dig her so out from sweet. this like pit. And so and she was like, so Bowen, sweet. you're so funny. And I think that's <laughs> when I thought, oh, OK, this is like my value. That's such a sweet story. I mean, I can relate on so many ways. You know, I moved around so much and I had that kind of cultural shock moving from London. I moved to Kosovo and I thought that I would fit in so much easier because I was like, well, I have an Albanian name, so I'm already like halfway there. Like surely people will accept me more than in the UK. Like they won't mispronounce my name. They won't do stuff. Then I went there and then I was like the English girl <sighs> trying to speak Albanian and it was a whole thing. But I, I think, you know, making friends, especially like at a young age or when you move around, I guess humor is where everybody like connects and like being funny. And when you're a kid being goofy, I, I completely, I like, I resonate with that. Like, do you feel that you ever use humor as a defense mechanism? Oh, absolutely. And especially back then growing up, it was this thing where people would be like, wait, what's your deal? Like, you know, I think even still now, I think people have a hard time making sense of me. I think they see me on like a really? TV show or <laughs> in a movie or something and they'll think, wait, I don't know. Let me just make some assumptions about this person based mm. on like all of these external things. And I think humor is a way to like undercut that as quickly as possible. And sometimes people are like very entrenched in what they find funny and they think you're not funny. And I go, okay, cool. I'm not for them. Yeah. Um, and then I shift gears. But I feel like, yeah, I mean... I was born in Brisbane, Australia. We moved to Montreal and then we moved to the U.S. Mm. Each of those places, I feel like I was a completely different person and the through line mm -hmm. is a little cuckoo. And, but the thing that like I think I was told in each of these places was that like, you're funny, you're such a showman or like, you know, you love to like sing, dance, act, whatever. And so I feel like, I, I don't mean to like turn the question around on you, but like, was that the same deal for you? It's funny that you kind of describe it in the same way. Like, I feel like I've lived nine lives, every experience through yeah. life. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that that was also another part of my experience. But it definitely, you know, it mm -hmm. makes you who you are. You kind of also build confidence. You know how to walk into a room. You feel like because you've tried to make friends in so many different 
areas of your life or different yeah. moments that you kind of get this confidence to go up to people and just be friendly and be really open. And it kind of made me quite an extrovert in that way. Yeah. Do you have like a barometer on knowing if something's funny or not? Or like when you're thinking up jokes, I know you did stand up before you were uh -huh. on SNL. Like how do you get that kind of gauge? Well, it's that thing where not to connect it too much to like art, but it's like that art philosophy where it's mm. like, you know, a piece of art is not complete until it's being presented to an audience. It's not a full-fledged piece of creative expression until there's a dialogue between the artist and the audience. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that applies with comedy absolutely because you're making up these funny yuck yucks in your head <laughs> and putting them down on paper, but it's like you really don't have a way of knowing what will play until it's in front of an audience. And I feel like every stand-up knows this, every sketch writer knows this, every kind of per like someone who makes front-facing videos mm. on Instagram or TikTok knows this. Like you don't know the full gauge of what's funny until other people kind of get in on that. And so I feel like, I don't know. No, I totally, I totally understand what you, what you mean. I have the kind of same thing where I'm like, oh my God, you know, before I release a song, I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to like it. But then in the hopes that once it's out, I also make peace with the fact that it no longer belongs to me. And it's kind of that dialogue with the audience, with the listener. And, exactly. and it kind of takes on a, takes on a world of its own. Um, have yeah. you ever told a joke or something that you've regretted? <laughs> Not that I've regretted, but like, I mean, I bombed last week at the read through at SNL and like that <laughs> happens all the time for all the, the most legendary people you can think of have all failed fantastically. There's some duds, like there are things on the cutting room floor. They're not even B-sides. Mm. It's like, you're only looking at the things that made it past many filters. I think it's really important that you're saying that because I think it's so easy for people who watch the show or, and they see the kind of finished product, but you don't see everything that happens underneath. There's like, it's all a process. It's nice of you to say that there are moments, yeah. you know, you bomb when you're doing the read-throughs and you find out you do it all through trial and error. And I think that's also really encouraging. Right as well. Well, did you notice that like people between dress and air at SNL, like the, the audiences were completely different. Like I just like anytime an audience sits down, like you don't know what their day has been like. You don't know what they've gone mm -hmm. through. Like you can't predict what they will laugh at because you don't really no. know the totality, the communal experience yeah. of that audience and what they'll respond to. And I feel like that's what happens at SNL all the time. So, you know, even when something bombs at the show on air on yeah. camera in front of millions of people, <laughs> there is also this untold story behind that where it's like, you know, I like sometimes it's like, I promise you this was funny to the people who were, who were here like two yeah, hours yeah, yeah. ago. We'll be right back after this short break. Something that I loved during my experience when I came into SNL, like I did the dress rehearsal and I performed my two songs and I was so nervous. I was like pretty much shaking in the dress rehearsal. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, I was, I was really nervous. And um, afterwards, Lorne invited me to come and join everybody in the in the room where you guys all talk after the full uh -huh. dress rehearsal and you kind of go through all the skits and you talk about what was good and what wasn't and what was working, mm -hmm. what was funny. what And I really felt like a part of the team. Like there was like this kind of yeah. sense of community and it just 
when I went back to go back on stage to sing my songs, I felt like I was part of like a theatre production. I was like, okay, like I'm here to do something. And I just had like such a completely different outlook on it. What do you feel like you've learned as as a person and as a performer, you know, positive and negative really during your run on SNL so far? Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Because did you feel, sorry, I'm just going to, I just want to ask, like you went back into the air show feeling less nervous? I did. I went feeling so like way less nervous. And also because I was part of the sketch, then I don't know, it just felt like it was this one seamless show and we were all just kind of in there Uh. doing our part and... I just loved it. I felt so much more comfortable in a room Mm. that is so daunting. You know, you're live on air, you have that one shot, it's in front of millions of people, you know, you do your performance. But when you have this like feeling of community and that you're there to also not just do this for yourself, but support others, I thought that was really, um, it was really special. I mean, it it changed my whole perspective and gave me one of my favorite TV performances. So I was very proud of it. That is one of my favorite TV performances. Is very, I, oh, I've watched you. the Levitating performance <laughs> dozens of times. Dozens of times. That is it's Valentino. Was that what it was? Yes, yes. With the oh, with the little feathered so hat. Good. It was Stunning. it was really fun. Just Thank you. So so good. Well, because I told so I should just say for people that you know Thursday you were in the building for rehearsals for sound checks and then that's when typically when the musical guest is in a sketch if someone's written the musical guest into a sketch mm-hmm. you would typically approach them on Thursday and sometimes it goes either way sometimes the guest is like no I don't want to do that so I you know kind of went into that situation on Thursday being like okay like this is someone I really love and I really hope she's down for this and you know but I don't know like what your state of mind is when you go into that building like you might be agitated or perturbed for good reason. Like it is a very stressful environment. So I never begrudge anyone for being like, oh, I'm not comfortable doing that because it's a lot to ask. And so, but then it was before I walked into your dressing room, like you came out with your team and I think you approached me and I was like, oh, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I don't normally say this, but this was right after Studio 2054 (laughs) came out. And I told you, I was like, that was my Thanksgiving in America. Like it came out that week. It was... I felt joy for the first time in like eight months. Oh, I felt like I was you. at a concert and I was like, thank you for giving me that, for my, giving me my friends that, because all of us were texting each other being like, oh my God, did you see this? Like FKA Twigs is on a pole, you know, like all this stuff. <laughs> and it was just such a beautiful thing. And I had to immediately thank you for that. And that wasn't me just like, you know, ingratiating myself to you to be like, can you please be in this sketch now? But um, you were so wonderful, game, funny, lovely you were the entire time. And I don't know, it was just perfect. It was such a pleasure. You know, for me, I feel like I've grown so much as an artist and SNL was definitely one of those things that I felt like I needed to conquer in a way where I finally like felt really proud of myself as as a performer. And that night was was really special for me. I mean, it was just so joyful and I hadn't felt that, especially around that time. This was Christmas 2020. But the thing I've learned to answer your question, (laughs) sorry, I like had to like go on that little aside. I mean, that meeting that you're talking about where everyone's in the Mm -hmm. same room is the perfect encapsulation of like what I love the most about that show is that like everyone in every department is there. There's set design, there's props, there's costumes, there's hair, and everyone is there like collaborating on something, this shared goal of like, producing a show, putting on a show, and everyone is an integral piece in it. So that's the exact right takeaway for you is to think that like I'm part of something. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel too. Like anytime I'm like singled out for anything, 
I immediately think, well, that's not true because it takes a village. It takes all of these different people to like prop each other up. And um, what I've learned is that I cannot be selfish as a performer, that anytime I'm selfish as a performer, the whole thing just sort of falls apart. It doesn't work. Like I have to be someone who is collaborative in every sense. How did you learn that? Or who's like your mentor on the show? Was that, you know, what was the kind Uh of best piece of feedback or advice that somebody gave you that helped you kind of understand that? Well, interestingly enough, it was the day after, you know, your show, Mm. because Kristen Wiig, who is your host, kept calling me into her dressing room throughout the week to be like, let's rehearse the dance moves. And I was like, oh, she like is invested in this. And like normally not a lot of hosts, like the host is very overwhelmed, understandably, Mm -hmm. with all this other stuff. But she wanted to make that succeed. And I was so grateful to her. But then the day after our show, I was flying home to my parents. But she had texted me. She was like, I just want to say that was so special. Thank you so much for like including me in that. And then she literally said at the end of this text, she goes, and oh my God, we got to dance with Dua Lipa. I was like, I know, (laughs) crazy. But her advice to me was, um, just remember that it's the funnest job in the world, even when it's not fun, even when the weeks are hard, because the weeks are hard there. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of bombing, as I've said. Like, for her to imply that she's been through that, too, that, like, she's bombed at the show, that, like, she's Mm. failed in spite of the success, was really meaningful that she was, like, enjoy it. Just be grateful. Be present. I think she was probably also implying that like it is this like communal interest to this communal goal of like everyone wanting the same thing basically at the end of the day. And then she ended up with by saying, um, because you'll miss it when you're gone. And I know that's going to be true. I know that's going to be very true when I leave is that I'll miss it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine missing something like that. You get so used to the team and the crew and the cast and, you know, you're you're building something together, which is... um, which is really beautiful. And you'll have all these wonderful memories to look back on and be like, wow, like all these sketches and stories and silly things we came up with and wonderful moments in time and history that we got to reflect on. And in the four years with SNL, you've given so much to queer culture, um, including the iconic Harry Styles, Sarah Lee sketch, um, oh which I'm obsessed with. And for those of you that haven't seen it, you have to run straight to YouTube and watch it because um, it's just, I mean, yeah, why why would you not want to see Harry really finally walking the line between uh, queerness and everything else, I guess? Exactly. Well, it's like him fully like diving head first. <laughs> yeah. And like, it was, it was so, sp- I'm so grateful that he was like down for that because he like came around the writer's rooms when he was hosting on Tuesday. And like, I showed him the script that um, my very good friend, Julio Torres, who used to be a writer there and I worked on. And Julio is someone, okay, so Julio is someone who like, we've watched each other fail in like bar basements. Like we've watched okay. each other like eat shit. And like that engenders this like beautiful kind of collaborative, like trust in the future, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, it's these long-term investments and I'm like so grateful. But anyway, I showed Harry the script. He's flipping through it. He was laughing and it was like, oh, thank God. Like he's, he gets it. He's not like terrified by it. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask, I was like, how receptive was he to like the original pitch? (laughs) So he was so into it. And then like, I just... I don't know. He's just one of those people who like really, you're the only person in the room. Do you experience this when you're talking to him? Are we ta- we're talking about our experiences with Harry Styles right now. Like, Are you talking? <laughs> he like, talks to you yeah. and you're, 
You feel like you're the only person in the world. <laughs> kind of. That's what I'm saying. No, maybe like it's, it has a different effect on you because, but I'm just like, I'm little old me. What is he doing? Like talk. He's like, he really like, stares into your soul. <laughs> I lo- I mean, that is just like a perfect Harry Styles experience. I mean, what more would you want? Exactly. Was that your first time meeting him? That was my first time meeting him, but I was like such a fan for the longest time. And like, but like what we unleashed after that Sarah Lee sketch was something that like I could not have predicted because a lot of Harry's fans went to the actual Sarah Lee Instagram page and like commented, like flooded each post (laughs) with all of these comments like, wreck me daddy, like must get rid of toxic and community, like, you know, (laughs) high on poppers again, like all these things. And I was like, this is the power of like internet yeah. standums, like yeah. this is truly beautiful, but also terrifying, and that's like that in a nutshell. <laughs> and Sarah, but, what oh well. exactly? Because we don't have Sarah Lee in in the UK. Uh-huh. What, it, it's a bread company. It's what it's bread, it? and I don't know. It's just bread. Gosh, I wish I knew more. It's just bread, but I wish I knew more UK, like, like mass Hovis wholesale. Or Okay, sure. But like they make like <laughs> cheesecakes in the frozen aisle. <laughs> oh, sure. But okay. like like they do like a bunch of different baked goods at the grocery store. So like a Kipling, maybe I'm like trying to think what I can relate uh-huh, it uh-huh. to, but I'll do my own research and then maybe we can like use the <laughs> English version for a new sketch or something. Anyway, there you go. Yes. We'll do yes. it. I'm I'm thinking, would I'm you, thinking. Would you ever host? I would love to host. Oh, do I I would love to do something like that I just had so much fun oh you were so good maybe next album or something we're gonna take another quick break and while we're away why don't you take a moment to go to service95.com and subscribe to our service95 newsletter a new issue of service95 will hit your inbox every Thursday and I don't think you'll want to miss a second of what we've been working on so subscribe now at service95.com we'll be right back after this short break I mean, it's actually crazy. I feel like you've been like strapped to a rocket since your first booking on SNL. And you've got a role in the Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie, The Lost City of D, which is coming out later this year. You're in Aquafina's Comedy Central series, Nora from the Queens. Mm -hmm. You're also a writer on Apple TV's Schmigadoon. And then you also, you have two major LGBTQIA plus movies that you're out in. Later this year, including Joel Kim's Booster Fire Island and Billy Eichner's Bros. Like, how do you even choose like all this work that you're doing outside of SNL? Like, how do you avoid burnout? How do you pick the roles that you feel like are really, that that you feel like really speak to you? Well, I don't feel like I have avoided burnout. (laughs) I feel like I'm still just (laughs) like perpetually burnt out. (laughs) But it's okay. It's okay. I think I'm coping with it. I'm like, I'm aware of it, but um, that's one thing. That's one step. All of these things are coming in as a huge surprise to me, Dua. So I kind of can't believe it's all happening. And I'm just kind of grateful. And I feel like, I don't know, would you consider yourself burnt out? Well, I mean, that was going to lead to my next question. Is just like, I feel like <laughs> we're, we're all in this state of, you know, as a generation, we glamorize this whole like, I need to be really busy and being busy is like yeah. the most important thing, which I, I totally get. I'm in that, in that mindset of like, I have this like 
inherent feeling that at any moment, if I'm not working hard enough, that the rug's going to be pulled from under my feet. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's this moving around thing. Maybe it's like being a child of immigrants. I don't really Mm -hmm. know. I've been described to have like an immigrant work ethic and I take pride in that. Me as well. Um, Me too. But I also kind of see the downfall of being like, yeah, this is exactly, you know, who I am. I work until like I can't anymore. And I get that, but I also am like, you know what? It is nice to also take a little break and have a little holiday or take a bath or read a book. And I think we need to also like push that rhetoric a little bit as well. Yeah. Because it's so easy to get lost in work. You know, like I said, it's exciting and you want to do it all. But I don't think either of us will be able to like reach our full potential if we don't take a little bit of time for ourselves. No, absolutely. Oh my God, you put it so eloquently. I can't beat that. That was wonderful. I have nothing to add. Okay. All right. Well, um, to carry on, I saw that you uh, named one of people's sexiest men alive in 2021. Uh. And you were also on Time 100's most influential people of 2021. So sexy and influential. Love that for you. This is wow, this is chef's kiss. Um, what accolade will you command next? And like, what mountain is there left for you to scale? Like, I don't know. I think um, maybe I'll get like um, a Starbucks gold card or something. <laughs> I feel I like goals. I'm gonna, goals. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get. I had it for like you know two months, like in 2017 or something. But no, I'm, I don't know. Um, it's this thing, right? I mean, I don't know if you feel this, but you don't ever like make the work for the accolade. No, I know. But and maybe it's not it's like just, about accolade. Like thing. what is your, what's your next plan? You know, what is your next project? What do you want to do next? For a long time, I just had to like self-identify as like a writer performer. And like, that's kind of how a lot of people sort of come up now is that they, you know, if you're seeing them sort of kill it on like a comedic piece, that's just themselves. Then like, you know, if you're like a Benny Drummer or like a Jordan Firstman, like I, like you know mm-hmm. these people, like yeah, if, yeah. if you're like like that, it's like it's assumed that like you come up with that thing yourself, right? Which is perfect. Yeah, I kind of want to do that thing. So on Joel's Fire Island movie, like that was the first time in a long time where I was coming in like not really in control of the writing process, but my only job was to go in and like be an actor and like bring this character to life, and I kind of liked it actually. It's not as like it's not like a demotion of skill. Mm -hmm. It's actually something where like, it's a different skill and it's a very valuable skill if you come in and like realize someone else's idea. So I feel like I want to kind of do more of that, but honestly, I I don't have anything specific, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting. I did like a little role in something small and I'm really nervous to watch it, but that kind of experience of diving into a character that's, you know, it's not you. It's, it's a whole, um, it's a whole different experience, and I was really taken back by, it and I loved it as well. So, I would love Good. to see you in more of that. That's that's really. I would really love exciting. to see you in more of that. Thank you. I would love to see you more in more of that, but don't be nervous because I think that's another part of the process is to let go of that. It's it's kind of like any other sort of output, right? Where it's like I gotta let go. I mm-hmm. got it's not mine anymore. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. It's someone else's thing. Not it's not that it's someone else's thing, but like the audience has to consume it now and mm-hmm. make sense of it. But listen, like I think about you a lot in this way where I go, God, do I like, does she realize like, and I, I think you, you must get a sense of this, like the impact, like all my friends, like over the summer, it was like people still like at the club, like, or like all these queer spaces, everyone's still like 
so emotionally connected to everything from Future Nostalgia that I'm like, this is an album that like, I don't think will ever wane in its impact because it's something that like was there for us when we needed it the most. I, I, you've, I think you've heard this from people in various capacities, but I think there's something like really, uh, there's something special and powerful about seeing it happen outside in the world where I go, wow, like, you know, cool would play. Not like, you know, like a, a, a non-single, <laughs> a non-single would play yeah, and yeah. everyone would know, you know, like. It's, I mean, that album is just like, it's taken on a life of its own and I'm so like happy and stoked with the response because I, you know, when I made it, I made it because it was like really happy and exciting, but I never thought that it would be released during a time when we wouldn't have the opportunity to right. experience it out. And so the fact that it's, you know, two years later, I'm about to go on tour and two years later, those songs are still being played. It, it means a lot to me. It's, it's, um, it's really exciting. So thank you. I, I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, obviously. first come see me on tour just, and then maybe we I get know, like that tattoo finally. We're going to do it. I'm just going to do it. We have to do it because I'm just, I'm, I'm either going to like panic. Everything. I'm going to panic um, and get your name like tattooed on my forehead or something. So we need to just like do this together. <laughs> and because um, it's going to get really chaotic if I don't do this soon. Because then I'll be like, I didn't keep my promise and I'm going to freak out and... So that is something that promise has to be fulfilled. We have to do that. I'm around whenever. Should we talk about what it should be right here or should we wait? My God, I another promise, like live on something. I feel like. It's... Live on something? Wait, no, I, I have an idea. I have an idea for, for what it could be. Okay, what is it? Your character's name was Marjorie. Oh, yes, it was Marjorie. And I feel like a little cursive or a little, little <laughs> small writing Marjorie or something. Should we that do that? Fun. Yeah, I think that could be good. Okay. All right. I love Marjorie. Okay, we're getting Marjorie, Marjorie. Tati. <laughs> <laughs> barely you can barely see it, but it it says Marjorie. I love it. That's it. It's perfect. That's it. Okay. So um I'm here to pick your brains now. And I've got two lists that I would love from you. And the first one is what are your five favorite places to get some good late night, maybe post rehearsal okay. food. In New York. Yes. So famously, SNL is in Midtown Manhattan. The dining options there leave something to be desired, I would say. But (laughs) there is a wonderful steakhouse downstairs named Del Frisco's. And that's like where people usually go to to hang, like after writing or after a read through, after a rehearsal. They'll grab like a cocktail there and like fries or something. That's like go to for everybody. So I'll include that. There's a dumpling chain called Xi'an Famous Foods. Oh, I know that place. In New York City. I love yeah, it there. You should try it. I love it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so, so good. So good. It's so good. And there, there's like it's like a little chain and they and some of the locations closed during the pandemic, but there are a couple places that are still kind of keeping it down, holding it down. There's a new restaurant in Williamsburg called Bonnie's and it's like Cantonese American food, but also okay. they do like a cacio e pepe like Maine, like oh. an Asian noodle cacio e pepe. So it's like Italian. Oh my God, and that sounds just, amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And they do like a char siu, like Cantonese McRib from McDonald's. Like what? it's like the, the ideas are genius. Everyone go okay, there. Okay, I have to go there. Um, in the East Village, there's a restaurant named Madame Vos. That's Vietnamese food. They're open very late into the weekend. Great mm-hmm. drinks there. And then I came number five, like when I go home, sometimes I just order in like, a delivery, like an Uber Eats. And lately, Dua, I feel like I can tell you this. 
What we're, is we're it? being vulnerable. I'm on a meatball <laughs> sub kick. And so I'll order a meatball sub from Subway. And it's the most delicious food I've ever eaten in my life. You know what? I can second that. A meatball sub from Subway is kind of banging. And also, it's banging. I have said, and I can't believe I'm fucking saying this, but I think Subway <laughs> is one of the best fast foods around. So I, there I said it. Fuck I it. Agree. I said it. I, and I'm so glad you did. And that's so brave of you. And <laughs> I think you will free, you're liberating a lot of thoughts Good. with a lot of different people. Good. I appreciate that. So um, it's always, yeah, it's nice to be seen and heard. It's nice to be seen, um, to, to stand somewhere. Yeah. And then my next list is who are five young comedians or writers out there that you have your eye on that you think that we should be paying attention to? I have a lot of people I can think of. One is Grace Kohlenschmidt. She does a lot of really great like videos, TikToks on Instagram and on TikTok, obviously. But she is kind of like of the Jordan Firstman okay. Benny Drama ilk in a way, but she does a lot of like <laughs> lesbian content that's actually really funny. Okay, um, not actually funny. It's not funny in spite of that. It's funny because of that. But then um, Nori Reed is a great stand-up and a great writer. Max Wittert is a great illustrator who wrote this piece on Gawker about selling Sunset that was really funny. And then Sam Taggart is this great writer and uh, his friend, my friend as well, George Severus, they host this great podcast together called Straightio Lab. And it's about people breaking down heterosexual culture, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good. And I don't know, there's just like a lot of great people. It was hard to whittle it down to five, but those are my five. That's perfect. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Because it's a, it's a big part of um, the newsletter and the podcast as well to also shine a light on up and coming artists. So um, I'm sure they'll also really appreciate the shout out. So thank you so much. And thank you for your time. You. And thank you for doing this. This has been such a blast. And I can't wait to see you. And I can't wait for our Marjorie tattoo. Meatball subs yes. also. Love that for <laughs> us. <laughs> We're so powerful. We're so powerful. So powerful. Um, <laughs> all right, my dear. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate I it. Do, uh, Have a lovely day. Mwah. And I'll see you, you very Bye. soon. Mwah. Thanks again so much, Bowen, for squeezing me in and to all of you for listening. We talked about our fast food guilty pleasure, the meatball sub, but I'd love to hear your tips for late night bites. Maybe it's an institution where you live or your regular pit stop after a night out. Send your voice notes to podcast at service95.com with your name and Instagram handle and we might just feature your selection on an upcoming episode. On last week's episode, I asked Russell Brand for his top podcasts at the moment and I turn to you for your picks too. Here are a couple of your suggestions that I can't wait to listen to. Hey, Dua and Service95 team. I'm Joe from Cambridge. I want to say that I love the Russell Brand um, podcast. Well done. I think the whole series has been so uh, amazing to listen to so far. I wanted to come on and give you a little podcast recommendation, which is In Vogue of the 1990s, which is my favourite podcast. I think it's been done so well, kind of hops between these like great insider interviews like Mark Jacobs, Anna Winter, etc. Um, and I've also just started listening to the In Vogue 2000s one, which is the second part of the series, basically just tracking fashion. They've spoken to like GC Couture founders, Louis Vuitton's Nicolas Gasquier. And so I'd love to recommend it to anybody wanting a little bit of a fashion scoop. And keep up the good work. 
Hi, Dua. I just finished listening to your podcast with Russell Brand and just really blown away by the depth of the conversation and really gave me a lot to think about. My name is Lauren and I'm a teacher in Kansas City, Missouri. And a lot of what you discussed about your own experience with your career um, is something I experience as a teacher. And while I might not have the world stage, I definitely feel sometimes that there's a lot that I have to live up to. And as educators, we're often trying to please so many people and it's really hard. I wanted to share a podcast with you that I listen to sometimes. Um, It's called Maintenance Phase and it talks about wellness and health and just sort of fads around diets and just so many different things that make you really challenge society's norms and culture around what it means to be healthy. And it's given me a lot to think about. And it's probably something that would help you and others just to consider, you know, what is beauty, what is health and um, just really enjoy it. Thanks so much for your podcast. Really have enjoyed all of your guests and also your show was awesome. I saw it twice and just so glad that I got to see you as Russell Brand said, shining in your gift. I thought that was really beautiful to think about the gifts that we have and how we share them with others. Oh, I love those voice notes. Thank you so much. I also particularly love hearing about you guys resonating with the episodes and with the conversations. Just the idea of opening up topics and showing people that, you know, we all go through the same things in one way or another is incredibly moving to me. And as for the podcast suggestions, those are definitely on my list now and I'm going to have to check them out. I really appreciate you guys all taking the time to send these in. They're incredibly insightful and you're being very much of service. So I thank you. I'd also love to remind everyone to subscribe to Service 95, our newsletter at www.service95.com. If you sign up now, you'll be able to read this week's issue, which features a letter from me about the life-saving yoga I did during my US tour, as well as incredible stories about a group of female surfers in the Maldives, another up-and-coming comedian named Alex Edelman, who you'll definitely want to get to know, and much, much more. Service 95 has been a true labor of love, so I'd love to know what you're all thinking of our issues so far. Visit us on Instagram at service95 and leave us a comment with your feedback. I might just reply with my thoughts too. Thank you as always for tuning in to Dua Lipa at your service. We'll see you next week with yet another very special guest.